24 and 25, and then we're going to bounce to Proverbs 22, verse 9. Uh, it's going to be a few different Proverbs we go through throughout this time, but these are going to be our main Proverbs we'll go through today as we talk about what it means to be generous. So let me go ahead and read 11, 24, and 25, and it says this. One person gives freely, yet he gains more. Another one withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Now, chapter 22, verse 9 says this, A generous person will be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word that you've given us to reveal yourself, your goodness and your grace to reveal our need for you, um, that shows us that you provided for that need in Jesus, that gives us the faith to walk by faith in what you've done for us, God. I just thank you for your word. I pray, God, in this moment right now, God, that your Holy Spirit would teach us. Father, that you would show us what it truly means to live lives of generosity, God, out of the abundance of what you've given us, Lord. Father, I pray that we would not only learn, but we would be hearers and doers of your word in the West End and in whatever circles we may find ourselves in. God, I pray that you would make us more like you in the way that we give. God, speak through me. I pray, God, that you would glorify yourself and, you would pray, and you, um, your praise would go out. In the, in the lives of your people, in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Dang, they got the clock on me this time. They ain't had a clock on me last time. Um, I have a few friends um, that I keep in touch with that are involved in urban ministry and impoverished areas. And oftentimes we have these conversations about how things are going as they engage the poor. And many times I'm expecting these great um, success stories about how the gospel has been advanced and how they've been able to supply for the poor and how they've seen God move in so many powerful ways. But oftentimes, instead of success stories, I get sober reflections from my friends. Oftentimes, they don't respond in the same way that I would think them to, but they Say this, most of them say that they've learned very precious things from the poor. One of the biggest things I've heard from many of them during this time is this, that as they've grown and become closer to the poor, they've been reminded of their own poverty. They've been reminded that they are just as dependent and needy as those that they seek to engage with. They see that the poor have a unique different wisdom that they might not possess because they're living in these extreme circumstances, but yet they have a skill for life that they don't have. They know how to live off a little and still be thankful for what they have, even though they don't have much. They're reminded of their own limitations in life. And what they find oftentimes is, as they seek to serve the poor, they find out the, that the poor are really serving them. We don't think about the poor in this way in our world most times, do we? We don't see the God-given value that the poor 
have in this world. And because of that, we seek to distance ourselves from the poor, and even in that, we avoid giving to them. We give several different excuses for why we may not give, and we're hesitant to give because we're skeptical of what they may do with what we give them. But the Christian church, the church that's been bought by the blood of Jesus, we know something different about generosity. This church has been established by sacrificial love, and we know of a different kind of life and mission when it comes to being generous. Generosity is not just something we do, but it's a people that we've been created to be. In the book, Plain Theology for Plain People, it says this about how we should be concerned for the poor. It says, the Lord God has been careful in all ages to speak on behalf of the poor. His ear has ever been open unto their cries and his eyes have always watched over their trying lot. The poor, the blind, the lame appear among us to draw our souls out of the narrow, cold, dark, sickly, damp dungeon of selfishness into the clear sunlight of love and mercy. We can't get away from the fact that generosity to the poor is an essential mark of the Christian. Generosity specifically to the poor is an essential mark of the Christian. There's a few problems that we run into in our lives when it comes to this topic. I'm pretty sure that there's probably two type of people in this room for where most of us, and maybe two types of people in this room, they struggle with two different things. We may struggle with insecurities when it comes to giving, or we may struggle with entitlement when we give. The insecure person feels like generosity is really a loss. They lack confidence in the provision of God, and they feel threatened when they give, that what they give is too important to lose. In this, there's really a fear that God won't keep providing the things that he's already provided. And on the other note, those who may feel entitled or may have a, what we may call a savior complex. Now I want to make sure I say this, that these are people that love to give. They care about people. They want to assist and they want to contribute in some type of way, but when they don't get the response they want as they give, they begin to treat those that they give to with contempt. Their aim is not really to care for the poor, but their aim is really to be praised by the poor. The harm in this is that as they grow in contempt, they can begin to make moral judgments about the poor on what they deserve and what they don't. But here we come to the beauty of God's word, the Proverbs. They share a pattern and a purpose for what generosity is. For those who know Jesus, generosity is not us working for Christ, but Christ working in and through us to help those in need. And here we get to our main point in this time. If I had one big idea, it would be this. We can only freely give when we know what we've been freely given. We can only freely give when we know what we've been freely given given. In the text that we'll be engaging with today, we'll see that generosity and poverty are deeply connected. Generosity is aimed to a specific people in need. Now this term poor that we may see in Proverbs, it has many uses. It's not just 
one thing. It may be defined in, in some places as those who are in just um, great need. It may talk to those who just lack influence in the world and don't have the resources and the relationships to be supplied for. It may be the humble and afflicted who, um, even in the midst of their circumstances, they may be in, um, oppressed in some way, but they still walk in humility before the Lord. And then we get to those who are destitute, extreme poverty, who don't have anything to their name, who are at the mercy of others to provide the basic needs of life. This teaches us an important lesson about generosity. Generosity is expressed by giving to those who have nothing to offer to you. Generosity is expressed by giving to those who have nothing to give back. As we learn and we continue to learn about what wisdom really is, what does it look like to walk wisely in the world and walk closely with God, we'll see in this book what it says about generosity and why it's important to God. And here we'll get back to our text in Proverbs 11, 24 and 25. We'll see the beauty and the joy in giving. It says this, one person gives freely yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Chapter 24, 9, a generous person will be blessed for he shares his food with the poor. We see in these verses that there's a gain in generosity. In ancient terms, the Hebrews may understand this word blessed in chapter 22 and verse 9 as not only the presence of material wealth, but the presence of divine joy. The text shows that there's a pure joy in bringing joy to other people. Now mind you, as we read 22 and 9, how it describes this person. This is, it does not say that a rich person shares his food, but a generous person. Let's be reminded that riches don't make you generous. It's not about the pocketbook, but the posture of the heart and how we give. No one can say in this world that money will make them more generous. Scripture helps us see that it's not just, he's not just blessed in what he has, but there's a blessing in his generosity. And we may ask ourselves, how is he blessed? He's giving something of value away, food or water. How is he blessed in this way? But this person considers himself blessed not by what he has, but what God has provided for him to give to other people. This person considers himself blessed because he's able to participate in the move of God and the provision of God for others. It's not just he's happy with what he has, but he sees himself as a partner, one who's joined to God, united to God in the, in the earth to bring heaven in the earth for other people. The blessing is not just in receiving, but enjoying working and relating to God in the way that he provides for others. This scripture gets us away from this false thinking that blessing only comes through monetary means. Thankfulness and joy in what God has done and who God is is the root of generosity. Generosity shows us, and how we give shows us what we're truly content in and what we find our joy in. In this, let us be reminded of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth and gave something much greater than himself. 
in him in taking the form of a servant and enduring the cross that the father had assigned to him, he gave away his life. He was generous unto death. And how is he blessed? God gave him a name above every name that every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess in heaven, on earth, and under the earth that Jesus Christ is Lord to the praise of God the Father. We see that Jesus is blessed because he joins in what the Father is already doing, so that's where he finds his blessing. He doesn't seek a blessing here on the earth, but he knows the mission and the will of the Father, and the will of the Father is his joy and true blessing. He sees the beauty of generosity because he's partnered with the Father on earth to bring heaven to earth. What we find in this in how we give. What we give in this world shows the infinite value we have in God. What we give in this world shows the infinite value of what we have in God and that what we give cannot be compared to what we have in God. Charles Spurgeon says this about a cheerful giver, our posture of giving. He says this, a cheerful giver is, is also a willing giver. A cheerful doer always wants to have more capacity for doing. God loves this cheerfulness, this heartiness, this wholeheartedness, this intentness, the fire of the soul. Being thankful and joyful in Christ is the fuel of a generous person. And as we see the joy in giving, we also see the goal in giving. The goal in giving is not just to provide for the poor, but the goal of giving is worship for God. In the Old Testament, we saw this system of giving where God would provide for some, then they would in turn provide for others, and those who had been provided for would praise God. The purpose was to encourage generosity throughout a community of people so that everyone knew that what they had did not belong to them. But it came from God who was truly worthy of praise. Community and worship both are important in generosity. These scriptures in Proverbs, they point us to generosity because one cannot give water and one cannot receive food if they're not in close proximity to those they, um, they, get, they, they need to give and share. Proximity creates this awareness to the need for generosity. Now, you all got, you guys see me right now, I have my glasses on, and these glasses are very, very thick, okay? Um, I cannot see without my glasses. If you're in the car with me, and I don't have my glasses on and my contacts on, you should probably hop out of the car, um, because I'm not a prophet, but I can't predict a wreck in the near future. <laughs> but for me, I'm nearsighted, but when I'm close, in pro close proximity to something, I have an accurate depiction of what that thing is. I can observe that thing up close and I can tell you exactly who that person is or what it is. And I say that to say this, it's difficult to say we're generous to the poor when we're not in close proximity to them. Let's read Proverbs 19.4. It says this, wealth attracts many friends, but a poor person is separated from his friend. What we see in this is the wealthy have many friends, but the one friend that that poor person has even leaves them because of his poverty. This material poverty that we should be generous in 
we need to be reminded of this. In this world, in its brokenness, material poverty brings relational poverty. The one who gives a drink of water and shares his food with the poor, it reminds us that any form of poverty is not just an absence of resources, but the absence of positive relationships. Being close to the poor should create this compassion within us that motivates us to give. We see the example in Christ's life in Matthew 9 as he's preaching and teaching in the villages and he's healing diseases. The text says that he saw the crowd and he felt compassion. He was in close proximity to the proud, the, 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 the poor, and he felt something in his soul that moved him to give. Being in close proximity moved him, and we see in chapter 10 that he commissions his disciples to go and preach the gospel. It was in him seeing the crowd distressed and dejected, like a sheep without a shepherd, that he was moved to compassion for the poor. In this, when we are close, in close proximity, establishing relationships, initiating with those in need, this creates this sensitivity and this compassion that moves us to be more generous than we think we can be. Freely giving in this world, yes, we need to be close to those who are poor, but it also tells the world something about our God. Giving freely to those in poor and being close to them, it shows us something about the gospel, that there are no distinctions in Christ. The wealth, the, 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 the wealthy, the middle class, the low class, the poor, the rich, uh, all have equal value in Jesus. At the cross, he's destroyed the hostility between us and he's created us a new one people with one mind and one heart who know that our value is not based on what we have, but, but who he is. There's no partiality in the gospel. Let's ask this one question. If we looked at our relationships in this world, would it say that there's distinctions in Christ or there are not any distinctions in Christ? Our relationships, our circles tell us what we really believe about Jesus and what he's accomplished for us. We display the infinite worth of Christ when we give away the things and give ourselves away to others who find their worth in the things that we give them. We see in this that there's a joy in giving and we see God's worth and the worth of the poor. And when we give, that leads to worship. But then there's a flip side to it. There's a person who doesn't see the worth of being generous and then deems the poor worthless. We'll go to Proverbs 14:21. It says this, one who receives his neighbors, who, one who despises his neighbor's sins, but whoever shows kindness to the poor will be happy. Proverbs 14, 31 says this, the one who oppresses the poor person insults his maker. The one who is kind to the needy honors him. Proverbs 17, 5 says this, the one who mocks the poor insults his maker and the one who rejoices over calamity will not go unpunished. One commentator said this about the selfish person. He says he lives for himself and he seeks his own good but the good he sought proves to be his evil. And of all of his innumerable foes, he finds at last that he himself is the worst. The selfish man is always coming to want, while the unselfish man whose whole thought has been for others is, ri is richly provided for. 
these few verses show us this, that there are prideful, selfish people who hate the poor and express their hatred in various ways. This hatred moves them to mock and rebuke them in their poverty as if poverty justifies their treatment. Here we see a people who are deceived in their selfishness because they have an illusion that they're invincible based on the value of the things that they have. This is a deliberate, direct attempt to dehumanize those who are already suffering in this world. Now let me stop right here and just say that mocking and insulting is a lot more than just a verbal attack on poor people. Mocking and insulting can be a quiet judgment about or in the, um, against those in need. This inner quiet judgment against the poor is expressed in several ways. Without knowing their situation, some thoughts that may come to our mind is, this person is poor because he's just lazy. This person is poor because they have the opportunities that they need, but they just won't take advantage of them. This person is poor because they've done something to deserve this circumstance. They put themselves in this position. Now they have to pick themselves up by the bootstraps and get themselves out of this position. These other thoughts may be, they must have disobeyed God. This person is poor because he's disobeyed God and he's done something to deserve this. And I would not dare interfere with what God is doing to this person. Mocking and insulting the poor in this way is like that kid who receives what he wants on Christmas from his parents. And he looks down the street and he criticizes and judges this other kid who didn't have as much. But he forgets that everything he's been given came from his loving parents. Our response to the least of these in this world, in this broken world, reveals our hearts towards them. But even in that, it reveals our hearts towards the Lord. Proverbs 14:31 and then 17:5, it points us to the fact that what's done to the people that God has created is really done to Him as well. We see in this that there's a reflection of what they really worship and a reflection of how they really think about the Lord. First in this, we see that. The present treatment of those, the, the present treatment of how we treat those in this world has an eternal significance. Those unwilling to be generous and not only won't be generous but mock those that are in need show that they're really unaware of the presence of God. Now it would be foolish of me if I was to walk into a king's palace at a banquet that I'm invited to and I, and I start to mock and criticize his servants and his son as if that's not a reflection of the king. That king would punish me and throw me into prison. And if I was to ask him why, he would say this, what you have done to them was done to me also. And this is the same with God, the God who's created the heavens and the earth with the power of his word and the crown jewel of his creation, people created in his image, in his likeness, to reflect him and glorify him in the earth. It would be foolish to say that what we do to God's creation is not a reflection of how we think about the creator. How we treat people, the poor in this world, those in need, is done to God because he's the creator of all people, including the poor. 
to devalue the poor and oppress them in this way is to say this. Their value does not come from God, but I can, I can assign value to this person. It says this, that their value does not come from God, but I can assign value to this person. And yes, we're talking about Proverbs. These are principles for life. These are not specific situations, but we can learn this lesson. For those who are selfish in this world, they may enjoy the things they have in the present, and they may mock those who don't have these things in the present, but they should only expect judgment from God. This is a sober warning for us, for those who would create and preserve distinctions in this world. God warns us in his, world, in it, in his word to beware of these sinful distinctions. Only in the world to come will there be distinctions, and those are God-ordained. God will give distinctions between the righteous and the wicked, ones who know God, ones who don't know God. But also in this, in this, we see that selfishness in this way towards the poor is active and is inactive. Proverbs 21, 10, 12, it says this, if you do nothing in a difficult time, your strength is limited. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those stumbling towards slaughter. If you say, but we didn't know about this, won't he who weighs hearts consider it? Won't he who protects your life know? Won't he repay a person according to his work? Let's get this to ignore the needs of others and being ignorant of those needs are two different things. Ignorance is the lack of information about a certain situation, but ignoring something is making a conscious decision to avoid or disregard someone. Yes, we know that generosity requires a sacrificial love, and we see this in this text where it's calling us to rescue and save those who are stumbling. But on the other end, Proverbs shows us that actively opposing the poor is hatred towards God, but also neglecting to support the poor is evil towards God. Church, let's understand this. The things that we see in this world and act like we forget are the things that God sees and will forever remember. Won't he repay a person according to his work? Those in this world, in this broken world, who are suffering, who are poor, who need generosity, God will not let these injustices go unpunished. He is an advocate for the needy and the poor, and if they don't have a defender on earth, they can be sure that they have a defender in heaven. We cannot love the poor and be passive at the same time. Now listen, God does not just favor the poor because they're poor. God favors them in this way because he loves justice and he hates partiality. He's a God of equity. He's a God of truth and justice. And when people are not treated in that way, he moves on their behalf. He shows his special concern because he, know, he shows no partiality and he loves justice. Now we've seen the joy in giving. We've seen the goal in giving is worship to God. But we also see the flip side for those who don't want to give and then mock those in need. And the problem we see in scriptures, in Proverbs, and throughout all scripture is this. Those who cling to what they have show that they are really empty on the inside. Spiritually bankrupt people don't give because their possessions are all they have. 
They don't they have enough in their hands, but they're empty in heart and they don't know any source of hope and joy outside of their possessions. And if our joy and our hope is wrapped up in everything that we have, we will never give anything. And when we do have enough to give. We'll give just as much as we need to. And not what God has called us to. If we live in fear of losing things, our time and our money, then we show that we're truly empty on the inside. But here's the beauty of the people of God. Listen, if you've tasted and seen that the Lord is good, that you, if you know that you're spiritually rich in Jesus, and you have something that's an uh, inheritance that's undefiled, imperishable, unfading, kept in heaven for you. You know that you should freely give because you know what you've been freely given. You know what you have on heaven and that frees you up to give on earth. What we've been pro provided for cannot compare to anything we have in this earth because the world did not give it to us and the world cannot take it away from us. We know what it means to be truly Poor in a way. What poor people may be in this world when it regards to others who have what we were in regards to our relationship with God. Having no equity with God, having nothing to offer in deep need for God to act on our behalf because we were sin in our sin and dead in our trespasses. What happens from that? How does God Act and how does God treat us in our poverty? He sent Jesus, the divine cloak in human body. And how did he send him? As a poor person. Jesus born in a manger. No rooms available, born to poor parents who didn't have enough for the sacrifices that they had after he was born. As people came to him and they saw the miraculous things he was doing and they wanted to follow, follow him, he said that foxes have a den and birds have a nest, but I don't have a place to lay my head. He didn't have a home. What do we see in Jesus that he had women in Luke 8 who were part of his ministry that supported him in his ministry? His ministry didn't bring him wealth and riches, but he had women in the Bible who supported him. And from that, even on the cross, as he's given his life, they strip him of his clothing. They divide him like, and they play dice at the foot of the cross for his clothing. He sits there bare and naked, had no food, no home, no clothing. And he's buried in a rich man's tomb. And in that, what did God supply for us? In a poor man's death, in a man who lived in poverty, he brought the riches of heaven for us. He brought the riches of heaven to us who knew of no spiritual riches, who were in need of God to act on our behalf because we were destined for hell. He gives us spiritual riches in Christ for all who place their faith in him. We had that scripture earlier in 2 Corinthians 8 where Though he was rich, God in the flesh, became poor so that in his poverty we might become rich. 
church, we know what it means to be freely given something, and that should teach us what it means and motivate us to freely give. We know of a different generosity, a sacrificial generosity. We see God giving us himself, and all we get is spiritual riches, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. The Christian church has what the world does not have. We have security in God, and we have a real Savior in Christ. Our identity is is secure in what Christ has done for us and who he is because it's kept in heaven and nobody can touch our inheritance. And then we have a real Savior in this world. We don't have to have a Savior complex or feel entitled, but we can freely give, not thinking too highly of ourselves, but we can point to the giver of all good gifts as we give. How should we think about generosity as a church? Yes, God has given us much, but how should we use it? It's sharing God-given resources with the intent of gospel-centered relationships with those in need. We have God-given resources, and we should use those to establish God-gospel-centered relationships to those in need. It's experienced in this way and the best way that God has ordained it through a group of people committed to displaying his goodness on this earth. How do we see this in scripture? I have one picture of this. In Acts 3 and 4, we see that the Holy Spirit has come in Acts and the church is growing. And one day, Peter and John are walking to church to pray around 3 o'clock. And there's a lame man that for 40 years have been lame from, from birth. And people carry him every single day to the church to beg. And as Peter and John, they walk past him, they look at him intently, the scripture says. They express that they don't assign dignity, but they affirm his dignity by looking him right in his face. And this lame man, this poor man is expecting what's always been given. They're expecting money. But Peter and John know of a greater and deeper generosity, and they offer him something greater than money could ever give him. They say, silver and gold I do not have, but in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now get this, if you read this story, there's something very unique and powerful about this. The man, after they proclaimed the gospel to him, he doesn't just get up and start walking. But it says they pick him up. And they walk with him into the church and they carry him in the church and people are praising and worshiping God because of this healing. They share the gospel and they display the gospel and not only preaching it to him, but lifting him up, helping him. We see that the gospel is so much bigger than what we think it is. It's more than preaching it, but it's practicing in the way we are generous to other people. They gave him his legs back in that one moment and they offered relationships with him as they worshiped and they came into the church together. We have the gospel. We know what it means to be generous. We see this in Peter and John where they give him the gospel and they offer him the right hand of fellowship and he is ushered into the church and comes to faith in Christ. That's Acts 3. But that's not the end of that story because in Acts 4, After this man has been healed, 
He's now a believer. He's come to faith in Christ. In Acts 4, the end of that text, we see that now he's involved in this church. This church of one mind, one heart, intent on one purpose. And the text says that they had all things in common. That they shared their possessions and there was no needy among them. In one moment, this man, in, three chap- in two chapters we see this, that this man hears the gospel. He experiences the gospel. He sees the gospel in the life of the church, and then he receives the gospel through the generosity of his people. The gospel is greater and bigger than we really think it is. And it should motivate us in every way when we know what Jesus has given us, freely given us, to give to those in need. The gospel gives every believer the freedom and the power to give no matter what tax bracket you're in. If you have the gospel, you can give. Now, as I close, I just have one big application. Use your life to display the generosity of God. Use your home to display the generosity of God. For those who may be around you or may not be around you, but you come in contact with, usher them into your home and show them the generosity of God. For those who are invited in your home, are those invited, do they have homes to invite you in? Are those people that you know don't have anything else to offer, but you want to display the generosity of God in inviting them in? Use your relationships to display the generosity of God. Now listen, you may not be in close proximity to those who are poor, but you can leverage and advocate for the poor in your relationship. Who do you know in your circle of influence that could give or may not be giving that you could advocate for the poor on their behalf to display the generosity of God to the poor? Of course, use your money to display the generosity of God. In the church, find your leaders, talk to them, ask them questions. How can I be generous with this money that I have for the needs of those in the church and around in this community? Use your time to display the generosity of God. Initiate relationships to those you may be in close proximity to that are in need. Ask them questions. Remind yourself that you talking to them does not assign them value, but they, you affirm the value that they have because they're created in the image of God. Show them love and respect and go in a posture of learning, being reminded that as you seek to serve the poor, they have something to offer you too. In doing these things, brothers and sisters, we will be reminded that what we have in this world does not have us. And our neighbors who may not know the Lord will see in our giving that what we have does not have us. We have been giving something greater. And because we've been giving something greater, we can give anything in this world because it does not compare to what we have in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. You've given us so much. Things kept and secure that no man can take away. And Father, we pray that you would just make make our hearts generous. Remind us of your generosity day by day as we look at your people and we look at your scriptures. God, teach us what it means to be truly generous so that we can meet the needs of our brothers and sisters and those in our community. 
Teach us what it means to be like you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.